Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Today, we're going to keep on the theme of health that we started in our first episode of the week with Tom Shea. Tom was sharing about three simple things that we need to employ across five key areas of our life so that we can be prepared to lead during chaos. And today, we're going to be hearing from someone who goes into some more detail on how you can prepare yourself as a leader. Sometimes we can run ourselves ragged because we don't take care of ourselves enough, but today's guest argues that there are some key things we can be doing to ensure that we perform at an optimized level. Let me go ahead and say at the onset of this episode that the things that we talk about today are not intended to be medical advice. So if you plan on doing anything medical related, be sure to consult with your doctor first. I hope that goes without saying, but just in case it doesn't, go ahead and use your better judgment and make sure that you talk with your doctor before doing anything drastic connected to your health. Our guest today thought he wanted to be a doctor, but left after one year of medical school to pursue an even bigger dream. Now he helps busy entrepreneurs and leaders create more energy and maximize their longevity and human performance without the guesswork by leveraging their genetics, technology, and systems-based thinking. His work has frequently appeared in publications such as Inc., Entrepreneur, Business Insider, Chief Learning Officer, Success, and many more. Here is Julian Hayes II. Julian, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Josh, what's up? Happy to be here, man. So I like to start off every interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. So you ready for these questions? Let's do it. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Just a few weeks ago, I was having a coffee with my friend who I haven't seen in a while, and he said, do it for the intention, not the attention. Hmm. And I was like, wow, that's it. Do everything with the intention and just not the attention. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? Hmm, okay. A leader is someone who focuses on possibilities, not the problems. A leader is someone who doesn't let their circumstances affect their commitment. And a leader is someone who's agile but relentless. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? What if we did the opposite of what everyone else is doing? What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? Getting Naked by Patrick Lencioni. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? Sit down with yourself for an hour with no sort of stimulation and just assess your work and your life. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Definitely why not. I I love to ask why not because it puts you in that mindset of questioning the authority. And it also, to me, 
it leads to so many possibilities. I think about health, you know, we have these preconceived notions of things like aging or um, how the standard way of life is supposed to be, the, the cycle of that. And why not question that and just say, why not? Why not do something else? And so, um, yeah, I love to ask why not. Now, Julian, we are here today to talk about how we can help leaders live more healthy lives. And you run a boutique precision performance and health optimization advisory firm, which sounds fancy, yeah. <laughs> but I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that is. And then also, in addition to that, why you chose this route when you were headed to become a doctor. Yeah, I, I, I love words and I love how law firms kind of name themselves and design firms. So I kind of just stole that idea and brought it to mm. the health and fitness world. So I'll start with why I left medical school. And a big reason why, so I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. And when I was in New York, New York is totally different from Nashville, which, you know, that's probably an understatement still. I met so many people who were really chasing their dream. And I always had this this seed in me, like this little quiet whisper about writing and creating and just doing that kind of work as well. And I just kept ignoring it. And then I had a, I don't know why I keep remembering this conversation. I was in the Lower East Side at a place called Yucca Bar. And the lady that I was talking with beside me, she was living kind of that dream lifestyle that I envisioned for myself. And I didn't make a massive action then, but I just, Throughout the time, and I remember sitting in a like a three-hour anatomy exam, and halfway through, I'm looking up at everyone. Everyone else is looking like super stressed and everything about this test, focused really hard. And I just started daydreaming for like five minutes. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm in the right place right now. This is very interesting, but I'm not sure if I want to do the actual job of being a doctor. And the only position I wanted to be was an ophthalmologist. And so you know, one thing leads to another. I come home that summer and I'm still having these thoughts and they're getting even more louder, that whisper. And I just decide I'm I'm not going to go back. You know, school's always going to be there. I can combine my passion for health. I can continue to stay on top of the literature. I can build relationships with doctors and, and practitioners and still do everything I love. And so the practice now looks way different than what it looked like on day one. And I think that's kind of a leadership lesson in itself, you know day one of being a leader is going to look way different than year five of being a leader. And that's kind of where I'm at now. And so kind of my practice now, we're using kind of what you mentioned, um, epigenetics, which is a, a simple way to think about that is think about you have your unique genetic code right now. That's your hardware. And the epigenetics is the software. And that's the informational inputs that is going to dictate how that hardware is going to ultimately respond and, and act. And so putting that in a practical sense now is that we have a certain genetic code that doesn't change, but by choosing what we eat, how we sleep, how we talk, our environment, all these different inputs from life, that experience ultimately decides what genes turn on and off. So a lot of times we hear some people say that they might have the fat genes or something. And that's true. There is a gene that is associated with having a higher likelihood of obesity but that doesn't mean that that's your destiny. And so now that we know your genes, um, they give you clues to your past, but epigenetics dictates your future about what you decide to do with that and the choices you make. And so that's a big part of it. And technology is another aspect. So these wearables that we have now, um, there's things like brain testing that, that we can do and to really truly have your brain operating faster and, and have you what I call youthful longevity at a base of what all that looks like to put a bow on this is that before you ever make a plan 
before you ever decide on like a nutrition plan or an exercise plan, essentially what I do is I take as much data as possible on you because you're ultimately unique. There's no one in this world that is like you. And we have to remember that we're ultimately N of one. And so I'm taking all that data, the genetic testing, different technology um, assessments, and then we're ultimately going to create a plan that's truly designed for only you. So I have a few questions about epigenetics and technology. And I also want to get into systems-based thinking Mm -hmm. in a few minutes. But the first question I have is related to epigenetics. That is a term that personally I've heard more and more in the last probably year or so. Is epigenetics a term that has actually become more popular or am I just hanging around more people who are talking about it? And regardless, how has the science in recent years been developing as related to epigenetics? It's becoming more and more popular. Um, You know, we have these 23andMe and that kind of stuff that initially started it. Mm. And that stuff is geared more toward more entertainment than lifestyle and actual practical information per se. But that's kind of what introduced the mainstream to it. You're hearing about it more because I forgot what year that it was um, introduced, but um, the human genome, the entire human genome was mapped and uh, scientists started to learn about our, our genetic code and they're still learning about it. I think we're only like a fraction of the way to truly understanding our entire genome. This genetic testing that we do, it's going to get even more precise and even more comprehensive in the future. So that's a big reason why you're seeing it is because we have these new discoveries now where you can kind of see, you know, what initially got me into it was seeing, you know, I noticed that most of my family ended up with a typical illness and chronic illness throughout life, whereas other families were maybe more neurological based. Mine was more, you know, blood pressures and and cardiovascular issues. And I just didn't believe in those coincidences. I thought there had to be something there that by default, I steer toward ending up with this if I don't do the right lifestyle interventions. And, you know, that was ultimately pretty much proven correct. And so I I think that's a reason why you're seeing this so much. And also just because I think the medical world is moving toward precision-based medicine and meaning that we have certain genes, for example, some people metabolize slower like myself. So like caffeine and a lot of different medications, it takes longer to get out of my system. And I think in the medical world, what interested them so much was that, you know, they're given these dosages, you know, maybe it's anesthetic, maybe it's um, whatever you want to think of. And there's a typical protocol of what to decide for this person. And a lot of times that might not be as ideal. And so now you can have this more precise dosage for this individual. And so another question that I would be interested to hear from you about is what are the most helpful technologies these days? You've talked about some of the testing that you can provide for your clients, but for someone who's just curious about what what technologies they have access to that they can purchase yeah. that would be most helpful for their health, what would be some of those that you feel like are the most valuable? And then even what are some of the most valuable applications for those particular technologies? Yeah. So you know, a technology is like the the wearables. You know, if you're getting started, there's different levels to it, obviously. Like probably my favorite is the Garmin 6. I think it's in the 6X model now, the Garmin, because it, it does so much. But if you're just looking to get started, something like a, a Fitbit, it's good. The, the Whoop device is good also. And the BioStrap is good. A couple of things that I would look for, I would look for HRV, which is going to measure, it's measuring your autonomic nervous system in particular. And the reason why I look at HRV a lot is because 
stress is a very huge factor for a lot of us. And this HRV is good for helping you to look into your recovery. Just how much are you recovering, not only from your workouts, but like sleep and stress. And you'll see that you'll have a score and that will give you an indication just how much are you recovering from, from, a, um, from a day-to-day basis. I like the sleep number as well, but the thing you have to keep in mind with the wearables now, they're not 100% accurate. And the reason I use these wearables is not necessarily for the numbers per se, but it's to build an awareness of just how much simple day-to-day behaviors can have an impact on your sleep, on your HRV, on your mood. And you can go down the list with that. So I love it for the awareness that it brings and the real-time feedback that you can um, you can collect a lot of data for yourself and you can go to your doctor and you can help your doctor out by having all this information to present to him. So another thing that I would be interested to hear from you about is how you set up a system. In your bio, we talked about how you use systems-based thinking. And that's a word that people sometimes throw around. But what does it look like for your actual practice? What does it look like to get someone thinking about their health using a, a systems-based thinking method? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a, I think the first time I've heard that word, systems-based thinking or systems-based, was an engineering friend. So I, I wanted to be an engineering college for about 72 hours. And, and the opposite of that is more of a binary thinking. It's just a straight line approach. And to get started with the systems-based thinking, is it's fairly simple. It's to see that everything matters. Ultimately, everything matters. We can use nutrition for an example. A lot of times we might think, why am I not eating healthy? And you can say, I need to choose better foods. But what if it's your environment? that you're in, you know, maybe your environment's not set up for you to eat that way. Maybe you have all these different temptations along the lines. Maybe there is stress that is causing you to um, lead to those impulse food decisions, or maybe it's sleep because we know with sleep that when you're sleep deprived, your more impulsive amygdala side of your brain goes up. Whereas the more rational prefrontal cortex that logical side, it goes down when you're sleep deprived. So you get that un, you get that imbalance. And so you're going to be more impulsive. So your decision-making, of course, is affecting your um, decisions with food in that regard. And you can think about things like your hormones. You know, how is your lab work looking in relation to the nutrition strategy that you're eating? So it, it's, it's just being cognizant of everything, that everything matters ultimately, and factoring in those decisions when you're looking to say, how can I improve the situation or why am I not doing something? It's not just thinking just one thing, but it's looking broad and not just choosing for the simple answer. So, you know, I say the human body, it's not complicated, but it is complex. A lot of people, when they're going to their doctor, they are going there and they're waiting to hear what their doctor has to say. But you've you've addressed this already a little bit. What can people be doing to be more active participants in their health and to to make sure that they're working with their doctor as far as things that they can be asking or maybe even information that they can be providing to their doctors so that you can get down to really the, the nitty gritty, the things that really matter most instead of just covering the basics. I think a lot of people, when they go to the doctor, they'll hear you need to start eating better, exercising mm-hmm. more, and it, I'm sure that can look like any number of things, maybe your blood pressure is too high, your cholesterol is too high, but what can people be doing so that they can be more active participants and be working with their doctors in the first place? 
Yeah. So this is like the first thing I usually, um, I would have a client do or anything. It's actually to kind of figure out what does being healthy look like to you? What does fitness look like to you? What is your, what is your goal? What is your ultimate end game? You know, where are you going with this? My version of, of health and fitness might be different than yours. And so you kind of got to know where you're going with that, because when you know where you're going, that's going to give you a lot of answers along the way of what kind of things are important to you. So let's say that you you kind of know your goal now, you know your standards of performance, where you want to be. I would look into a comprehensive a comprehensive lab exam. And the reason why I would say get that whenever you can is because even if everything's not relevant to you right now, what that does is you know, say you, you got these, you did this first lab report at 35, when you become maybe 37 or 38 and you just don't feel right, you can go back and say, my labs were very good at this age. Why are they like this at this age? What am I doing differently? That's causing these different numbers. And so that gives you just more data. So when you're going to your doctor and I think it's to be specific. And so that, that goes back to the first answer is to know exactly what you want, what you're looking for. And then you can ask the doctor more precise questions because you have a definite goal in mind. So this comprehensive lab exam, is this something that if you were to uh, request this of your doctor that across the board, people would know what you're talking about? Or are there specific things you need to be asking for uh, when you're trying to get an exam like this? Yeah, I, I think I think most doctors would understand when you say like a comprehensive lab exam that that's, you want as many tests as you can get. I think they would understand that for the most part. Different insurances are different with that. So I'm not sure if that is something that insurance covers sometimes. I think I've heard with different labs that sometimes insurance might not cover it if you're not quote unquote sick. Hmm. I think this is kind of one of the unfortunate flaws in our healthcare system is that before a lot of this action is taken, a lot of this data is, is accumulated, they wait for you to get sick instead of preventing it. So I think that's one of the unfortunate downsides. Yeah. So some of these you might have to go out of network with, but for the most part, I think if you request it, I, I think you'll be fine. So I'd like to turn to some of the precision-based aspects of your work. You've talked about this as well a little bit already, uh, including some things like different people metabolize at different rates. But when you think back to your clients and some of the eccentricities or unique aspects of, of different individuals, what are some things that you see that people might not be aware of that differ between individuals? Yeah. So I can do a handful of examples. So some of us are a lot more sensitive to grains than others. There's these things we call GAD1 genes. And, you know, I had a client and the reports came back that, you know, she was had a more increased risk or probability to have this grain sensitivity. And what that looks like is these GAD1 genes, they're handling what we call glutamic acid. And glutamate is more of a excitatory neurotransmitter. So what that means is just it's keeping you up alert. Whereas the opposite of that is is the inhibitory neurotransmitter. That is GABA. And so how it gets into an issue, because you need both, right? But you want more GABA, obviously, at night. But for these types of individuals, they have this increased sensitivity. So what that means at night is you're going to have a lot of this glutamate and less of this GABA. And so that's going to make sleep a lot more difficult and probably more increased likelihood of being just a little more anxious and agitated as well. And so if you see that, and symptoms of this can look like brain fog, the insomnia, obviously, 
maybe just a racing mind or anxiety after grain uptake or after taking a lot of protein shakes in the evening, especially. And knowing this is so beneficial because you can counter it easily with something like magnesium glycinate, supplementing with that, with that specific version, or adding extra B6 into your diet. And an interesting thing to add on with that is that they're finding now early trauma is connected with the SCAD1 genes. And, you know, someone who's went through early trauma a lot, they can be at increased risk for this as well to have that increased glutamate going as well. So that's very, that's a very nitty gritty detail right there, but that's a really powerful one because chicken has a lot of glutamic acid in it. Eggs have a lot of glutamic acid in it. And these are healthy foods and there's nothing wrong with them, but like too much and at the wrong times can be one reason why you're having trouble sleeping. And so would you find out based off of one of these comprehensive lab exams that some of these things may be too high in your blood work? Or is this something that you would just recognize by saying, okay, I'm having a hard time sleeping at night or my mind is racing. Therefore, I need to be looking at some of these things that I'm ingesting. I need to be looking at the food that I'm taking into my body. Yeah. So what I was just talking about, that's from like doing your genetics. The genetic report that I would use is it's like 80 something pages. Hmm. And that's just one category. There's like different ones like carbohydrates, fats, hormones, athletic performance, et cetera. The labs are beneficial for an example I'll use with myself. So I'm in the highest risk category of insulin sensitivity. Um, another simple word for that is um, like blood sugar dysregulation. And a lot of that can lead to diabetes, unfortunately. And that's no surprise. It runs in my family. And so a person might get their report back or, or get this information even from like a 23andMe. And they'll see that, oh my goodness, my insulin, I'm in the highest category of this. And so they might take extreme measures when they don't need to. And so then that's where you can look into your labs and you can see, oh, my genetics says this, but what does my labs say? And my labs is showing that my A1C, my fasting glucose, my fasting insulin, it's, it's actually very optimal right now. That's an example of systems mindset that these genetic reports, that's just one input to the system. That's just one data point. You're taking the labs. That's another data point. And now that's going to help you make an even more effective decision instead of just coming to a quick conclusion based off just one data point. What are some things that leaders can be doing in order to move the needle in their health so that they can be more effective at the work that they're doing? What would be some of those top two, three, or four things that you would recommend leaders doing across the board that would lead to them having better health, and a fuller life? Yeah, number one is sleep. Definitely. Definitely. Everything starts with sleep. Um, There's a lot of things that I won't even let a client do before they start working on their sleep because sleep is that foundational pillar. And number two is oftentimes leaders are, they're anything like me. They are very gung-ho, very go, 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 go. So the thing that we need mostly is to slow down, to speed up. And so that's a motto that I live by now. And what that means is taking a a moment to pause, to give yourself time to reflect, and then making the decision on whatever it is you need to do. And that's going to lead to much better leadership. A lot of times leaders have a hard time of letting go certain tasks or giving trust in your team. And that's part of what I call the dark sides of success. 
as you're getting more achievement as a leader, you have more responsibilities. People want your attention more. And then those healthy behaviors is unfortunately one of the things that falls to the wayside. So one of the things you can do to counter that is to slow down to speed up and you'll see to give more autonomy to your team, to trust them more and let them make decisions for the company. Well, Julian, I appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing with us something that we haven't really talked about too much on this podcast, which is our health and how to take care of ourselves so we can lead more effectively. Now, before we finish up the interview, I'd love to hear if there's anything that you think would be worth bringing up that we haven't had a chance to talk about or something that you would just like to reiterate from our conversation today. Yeah, we're recording this around the time with the COVID-19 stuff going on throughout the world. And there's a lot of nervous energy, just uncertainty around. And I think the best thing you can do for yourself right now is to really work on your mind because there's a, there's an assault on our mind. Um, everywhere we turn is disinformation and that can cloud our decision-making right now. And people need us, especially right now as leaders. So I leave you with just to slow down to speed up today and every day for that matter. And Julian, if you would share with us where people can go to learn more about you and the work that you do, especially your relatively new podcast, which is called Optimal Health for Busy Entrepreneurs. If people want to hear more from you, where would you recommend they go and what can they expect when they get there? Since you're listening to this right now, you can go ahead and type that in, Optimal Health for Busy Entrepreneurs. And it's a podcast that's not just health information, but it's the strategies around how to effectively mesh your career, your business with these health practices. And my home base to get everything else is the artoffitnessandlife.com. And there'll be a ton of resources there. There'll be links to the various magazines that are written for like Inc. and Entrepreneur that has hundreds and hundreds of articles as well. And so um, it's a litany of resources. And I'm fairly prolific with creating. So I usually create two to three episodes a week. I might start writing as well again. So There'll be a lot there for you. All right. Well, Julian, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, man. I really enjoyed this. So there you have it. I hope this has given you some ideas of how to improve your health so that you can, in turn, improve your leadership. Now, let's go ahead and get to today's three key takeaways. The first one is this. It's not really connected to your health necessarily, but I really liked it at the beginning of the interview. And Julian said this, day one of being a leader will look way different than year five. And I think that's something that's helpful for us to keep in mind, no matter where we are in our careers, no matter where we are in our leadership, there are going to be changes in our lives and we need to do what we can to prepare for them. And connected to this is something that Julian said all the way at the end of the interview. He said, slow down to speed up. Make sure that you slow down enough to where you've laid the groundwork so that you can move forward with purpose and with meaning. The second key takeaway was a lot more practical when it comes to health. I liked that Julian recommended making sure that you know the details of your health early on so that you have a baseline for comparison in the future. It's way too easy for us to put things off until it's too late. And this is not only true in our health, it's true in the way that we lead as well. We can let things rest. We can let things ruminate until it's really too late for us to do what we could have done and what we should have done to make sure the problem never became what it ended up being. And the final key takeaway is this. The human body is not complicated, but it is complex. One of the things that I think Julian was saying with this is there are a lot of moving parts, a lot of interwoven parts that all are working together, but there are some key things we can be doing to make sure that our health 
is what it should be in as much as we can control that. And one thing I would do is to encourage you, if you want to brush up on the difference between something that's complicated and something that's complex, go back to episode 35, where I interviewed David Benjamin and David Komlos on their book, Cracking Complexity. They have some really great insights that I think will help you to sharpen your thinking in this area, and it will just help you become a more well-rounded leader in general. If you'd like to listen to that episode, you can find it in your podcast player or go to lifeasleadership.com slash 035, or it will be linked to today's show notes, which you should be able to see in your podcast player right now, or go to lifeasleadership.com slash 082. Now, at the beginning of next week, I'm actually going to have a friend of mine come on this show. He's going to be sharing about some of the exciting things that he's doing, and I think that there are going to be some good nuggets of leadership insight there for you as well. I hope to see you then, and until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist... It feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.